0: Gradually, you know, you recover and stood up and he asked me if I have epilepsy. And I I said, Well yes. What does that have to do with anything? And he said, Well, you just had a seizure, and I said, Well, that's impossible. I don't have seizures. Said, Well, you just had one. So that's sort of when everything started. Yeah, when I was 18.
1: Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today we're talking about writing, dating, and parenting with chronic illness. Our host Monica is joined by author Sarah Stags, who lives with epilepsy. Sarah, I am really excited to talk to you. But first, I wanted to say I looked over on some of your book recommendations and we have the same favorite book. Aaron Morgenstern.
0: Oh, yes. The Night Circus. Oh, that my was gosh.
1: absolutely one of my favorites.
0: Loved it. Yes.
1: When I read it, I had a lay Bordeaux moment of I wanted to throw it across the room and go, I will never read again because I will never read that well. I, yes. I just saw that you have a new book coming out. I haven't gotten to it yet. But what style do you know? It Do you like that magical realism of Night Circus or...
0: You know, I do. I love writing magical realism. I actually won a contest with a magical realism short story that I wrote. And it was like, I think it was my first time that I got like paid as a writer.
1: It like almost doesn't even matter how much it is. It's like, I, I'm officially validated. I know. Wow. I was
0: just like, this is fantastic. And so I love Writing magical realism, you know, I haven't done a novel. My voice is right now uncontrollable. It's sort of upmarket fiction. They call it sometimes women's fiction, but I don't really like to use that term because I think that everyone can enjoy it. You know, no matter what your gender. Just where where do we put it on the bookshelf? How do we market it? Kind of thing, you know. Are we using body parts to turn the pages? I mean, how how is
1: this a woman's book versus? And I was I saw on the site that there was like no not in your site, but it was the book blurb or something. Yeah, and I just instantly unsigned off of it because it was like women's fiction. I'm like, where's the men's fiction? Is it just fiction if a man writes it? I'm very easy to annoy, and that just bothered me to my soul. <laughs> like, wait, so so what what would qualify this is is Jane? Austin now, women's fiction? I don't know. If we I write mean, about chronic illness, are we women's fiction? I mean, I-
0: yeah. It's just, they just need categories to know how do we market this and who do we market it to? And and so that's, I guess, where my fit in, but... Marketers need some help. I know. The publishing industry needs some help with their marketing. I am amazed.
1: And I actually want advice. You have epilepsy and you are a writer and a mother and you have this really good sleep schedule, which I am so jealous of. I can barely hold it in my heart. How? How? is my question. You you have a strict bedtime, which is really important for epilepsy. Right. How do you do this with small children and, and writing? Like I, I have to like steal
0: writing time. Right. I guess to address the first question, my sleep schedule <laughs> is that my brain just kind of starts getting tired and kind of shutting off at like 930, you know, by 10 o'clock is I'm done you know, I'm, I turn into a pumpkin. I'm over. So the kids right now, they're young enough where I can, you know, make them the bedtime, like reading is from like eight to eight thirty, and then lights out at eight thirty and asleep by nine. So we'll see how that works out. I think that that's going to be a good one this year. And then as for writing, you know, it's a, it's a job now. So I have a writing schedule. I go and wake up, get the kids out of the house and then Walk the dog, exercise, and then I'm sitting at the table writing at nine, from about nine to one or nine to one thirty, and then kinda get on with the day so that I'm ready when everybody comes home.
1: Uh, of all the things I miss with disability, it's the walking that
0: I miss. And not for the reasons everyone thinks, it's that I used to get my best ideas when I'd go for walks. Ah, that's nice. That's nice. I just I listen to music, or that's when I catch up on like phone calls. I find that I'd get really good ideas as I'm falling asleep, which is unfortunate because then I can't to write them down. So I just have to hope that I remember them in the morning.
1: That is deeply unfair. Do you have any like devices that you use to be able to
0: hold that through to the morning? No, I just I have to get my sleep, so I just have to hope. I
1: very much feel that I I keep a and this is why I don't sleep as well as you do. I keep a notebook by my bed, so that like at two in the morning when I wake up from something, I can just jot it down. Otherwise, I I have that circular thought thing going through my head until. I wake up in the morning and won't let me sleep. Yeah. So for writing, do you have like anything that works well for you to be able to, as you can tell, I'm very ADD. Is there some sort of device you have for being able to keep entire
0: novel structures in your head or to organize life? Well, I wrote the novel Uncontrollable without really understanding how to outline a novel you know it's so that just kind of came and there were a lot of revisions and and everything it's a very different book than it was when it started and study of characters revolt like that exactly and and, you know plot and and story structure and everything so it's very different and I think it's much better than it was when I started but the one that I'm working on now I have sort of plotted out I know where things are going to go and how you know the majority of how everything is going to tie up at the end. I started using Scrivener
1: just because I couldn't keep everything in my head. It's that writing software that allows you to like go, you know, I think in Act 2, this should happen. And you could just sort of write a sentence in Act 2 and just leave it there. And it stays right. there. I see the whole thing. Yeah. It's a very
0: complicated program, but I haven't found a better one yet. Yeah. I just use Word and then outline it. And yeah, you know, I don't use any of those, like the tech stuff beyond Word. I just find that that's what works for me. And so there we go. Oh, that's amazing. It's much cheaper.
1: I, I'm a fan
0: of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have to save money at some point.
1: So you grew up with
0: your diagnosis. Is that right? You didn't have to wait and go through the doctor run around to find out what it, that was? Right. So I was diagnosed when I was about 18 months old. And then they weren't really a problem growing up. Uh, I had, I think, one seizure when I was 10. So when I was heading into puberty, and then they just adjusted my meds with one pill extra. And then I didn't have seizures again until I went to college. Oh. And then I think that it was the lifestyle change that started to trigger them because I had never thought about seizures or thought about sleep or thought about stress or any of that stuff. And yeah. Then then I went to college and and all of it kind of blew up and my brain just couldn't handle it, which I didn't realize was a thing. <laughs> I had my first seizure about three weeks, I think, into college. And I was sitting talking to my roommate about where we're going to go to lunch. And then I wake up and it was a tonic-clonic seizure. There's a paramedic over me and he's asking my name and who the president is. And I'm pretty freaked out because I can't remember the answer to either of the questions. And I just, I can't even talk. And so gradually you know, you recover and stood up and he asked me if I have epilepsy. And I, I said, oh, well, yes. What does that have to do with anything? And he said, well, you just had a seizure. And I said, well, that's impossible. I don't have seizures. So up. Well, you just had one. So that's sort of when everything started. Yeah. When I was 18. How did that work with your friends? Were
1: people able to help you out or was that hard for 18 year olds to wrap their brain around?
0: I think it was the latter. I think that it wasn't until I kind of got them under control that people started to be not really weirded out by it. So I understand, you know, the stigma that surrounds it. I didn't have a lot of support in college, you know. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I wish that people had been more understanding. But (laughs) if you think about it, it was 1998, 1999. So There wasn't a lot of talk, there's, there's a lot more of a discussion now around epilepsy and you know, even outside of the epilepsy community, people also are more understanding about disabilities and invisible disabilities, but back then it it wasn't really talked about. So it was just, people thought it was weird, which, you know, I I can kind of see that, I wish that they had it. But when I left college and then went to law school, things were getting better. So it was a better experience.
1: How did you handle the stress of law school? So stress is a trigger for epilepsy. of C And my sister just finished law school. And I, I, I
0: have been trying to help her through lots of evenings. How did you manage your stress? My seizures were actually really well controlled by medication in law school. Okay, My doctor said you could drive again. And I was having, let's say, two seizures a year, maybe a little more. But I wasn't having them in class. You know, the medication that I was on was very effective at that time. And then with medication, you have
1: to see what works for how long it works and then try the new one.
0: Yeah. And so actually the medication worked very well until after my first pregnancy and then I could never get back down to that pre-pregnancy dose. And then with my second pregnancy, things really went kind of south. And so I had to add meds and, you know, kind of been a juggling ever since. Because pregnancy isn't confusing enough on the body. Exactly. Yeah. Second pregnancy, I felt like we were always playing catch up. Like you would go and then I'd have a seizure and then they would adjust my meds. And, you know, because your body does change a lot when you're pregnant.
1: There's so much, whatever side of the aisles anyone is on, I need the discourse around pregnancy to be like, hey, it's just nine months to end. Like this is body changing forever. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens. We need way better education in our, our school systems to talk about what actually like in a normal, healthy body, how different pregnancy can go. And yeah, then you add disability and chronic illness in there. And oh, that was that was uh, a very long, long nine months. Definitely. So for parenting, I always love to talk about this because I had my kids way early. And so I have no one in my life who actually has kids at the same time I have. Did you have side effects at the early onset? Is when my kids are born. <laughs> I have the loss, so I dislocate by moving and there's just lots of bedtime that I have to be in. And so when I had toddler, it was just insane experience of being in the bed and having a small creature that was just absolutely hell bent on anything dangerous. Right. How do you handle your your sick down days and small children or larger children? I have teenagers and it's still a
0: lot to like handle bed and trying to be an effective mom to young adults and teenagers. So... I am very lucky in that my husband is very supportive and really stepped up, you know, when I have a day when I've had a seizure or, you know, if there's a couple of seizures or what have you, and I'm just kind of out, he will you know, step in. I don't drive. So he does all the driving, which is really, you know, it's difficult for him. And I'm really lucky to have that support system. It's so weird to lose your autonomy
1: as an adult. Like all of a sudden you're like not able to drive. It's like, wait, wait, am I 12 again? What? I can't go I for know. walks by
0: myself. What? I know. Yeah. I was, at, I was at that point once, but yeah, no, it is not being able to drive. It, it's very isolating. And, you know, it's one of the I think the loss of independence is one of the biggest issues that, you know, maybe people outside the epilepsy community don't realize, you know, how how much it affects your life in general. You know, I can't go to school to drop off the kids. So I didn't really get to meet the parents at the new school at drop off, you know, or talk when the kids have play dates. If their friends live far away, do I have to ask my husband to go and drop the kids off? That would be really the only option besides. So we just have play dates at this. I'm just like, just come on over. Bring all the boys. Bring them all here. And we'll just do the best we can. So... Yeah, you know, it is. Not driving is really kind of cutting off your legs. Yeah. Especially if you live suburbs
1: or rural, it's it's such a different experience. Yeah.
0: And so you can just walk
1: to, or for me, I can't wheel anywhere. But I can't wheel around to my little downtown because there's no sidewalks and I can't drive. And people realize how much like if you can't drive, it is isolating. You also are always asked, I don't know if you feel so, but I always feel like I'm asking for favors. Like, oh yeah. My husband is a wonderful man, but it's like, hey, so we need to get chicken food. And and we need to get groceries and the child needs to go to archery practice. And then we mean it feel bad because I'm home all day in New York. And I'm like, I got nothing that I could get done today because I couldn't drive
0: anywhere. Yeah, I know. I We're lucky that we live in a really walkable neighborhood, but it still is, you know, a challenge to get the kids to the active for school activities. You kind of have to look. I have a system where I just look around the geographic location and if i can bike to it on my e-bike or if i can walk to it you know these are the activities that you can choose from i love that google maps actually
1: has this set up for bikes because i can usually use it for wheelchair too and you could just sort of like draw a radius and go okay bike sir okay got it i might be okay here that's a possibility i'd love it if they had a wheelchair section in there but right Okay. I'm very curious about, and not just me, it's one of the questions we get a lot of is when you're dating, how quickly do you disclose your disability status? Mm -hmm. And then with children, how open are you with your kids about
0: stuff? Okay. Well, regarding dating in high school, it wasn't an issue because I was not having any seizures. So there was really nothing to talk about. You know, I didn't even think about it. I had to take like a pill in the morning. And that was, and then in college, you know, people were seeing me have seizures. So it's not like it was a secret. Yeah. You already knew what you were getting into. If I remember correctly, you married your law school sweetheart. Was that in your? And I did. Yes. We're really lucky that we kind of found each other in school at that early age. So we, we got to miss all the dating app and everything that everyone's going through now. But I think that the hardest part for, me with regard to telling people was I remember I moved into a house with five guys when I went to law school and you know none of them knew me and I didn't know any of them but I knew that I did have to tell them that I had epilepsy and it was like oh my gosh how are they going to react because i I'd never had to really do that before so but I knew I had to do it like really soon and so yeah. the second day I sat them down I was like we have to talk and I remember they were all sitting on the couch across from me and I was like. I have epilepsy and I sometimes have seizures and this is what you need to do. Do you have any questions? And they were all like, Well, oh, that's all right. Do I want to get a beer? And I was just like, maybe? So <laughs> so this is all right? And they were like, yeah. And so it wasn't as big a deal to tell people as I thought it was going to be, which is good. And then my husband saw me have a seizure about two weeks into us dating. So and he, and he stayed. So there you go. There's there's an upside
1: to that sort of really, my best, husband and I our best friends for three years before we started dating. So he had seen all of it and it was just so much easier for me. And I, all of you listening, you have my empathy and sympathy. I know my empathy and my sympathy. My God, dating apps are, are scary. And I'm really lucky to be old enough that I don't need didn't do that thing.
0: Yay, aged. Oh, and then I think the second part of your question was children. I mean, they've seen me have seizures. They've seen me come back. From brain surgeries after being gone for five weeks. It's not, you know, they know what to do. And I used to be worried that seeing me have seizures was giving them anxiety or, you know, like affecting them in some way. And I think that it is making them more empathetic human things and teaching them to deal with, you know, stressors that just come with life That you know, in a more mature way. For example, had a seizure in January at a U-dog wash. And my son, my older son was there with me and he's 10. He was 10 at the time. And he just, I could hear and I, I can, you know, see and everything. I just can't talk or tell people or anything. So everyone else at the U dog Dogwash was freaking out. And I could hear Max very calmly say, why don't we do this? This is what you need to do. And they, you know, everyone's like, do we need to call 911? And, you know, Max is like, you do not need to call 911 unless. And so it was really, I was really proud of him. He really just kind of took it in stride. So, you know, I can't hide it. What am I going to do? They're going to see it. And I think that it has made them more empathetic people and more adaptable. And you taught him such
1: incredible leadership skills. A 10-year-old was able to control a room, explain what was happening, and then create an action plan. Yeah. And you're raising quite the leader. Like, that's, that's an
0: impressive kid. Yeah, no, I was told him afterwards I was very proud of him. And he had been a real hero that day.
1: I, I ask these questions because I hear a lot from people who are like, I don't know if I should have kids. I don't know. I can barely handle my life without, you know, anything. And that's a personal choice. I want to phrase that out there. This is a personal decision. You do is right for you. But I do want there to be another discussion out there as well, because I think the media does a crap job of discussing our lives as chronic illness and disability. And it's usually framed in some sort of tragedy. And I have to say for me personally, my children are such an incredible help. They are such a bright spot in my life. And we have darling slug days. I pretty much live in this one little room when I can't get out of bed, which can be weeks. Since my, my baby was was a baby, we would just curl up and iPads with like drawing apps and we would watch Jane Austen movies. My son would like come and snuggle. Like, oh, we still had a very active life; it just looks different. And I want to make sure that that narrative is out there because I, everyone's choice is important. But I want there to at least be informed choices. Like, this is not a tragedy. It's actually really kind of beautiful. It's just different than someone else's house.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only speak for epilepsy. And I don't think that having epilepsy should make someone not have children. If that's really their fear, you know, you can work your life around it. And, you know, just work with your Neurologists and your OB and your primary care doc to get you through the pregnancy and afterwards. And, you know, if you can create a good support system, that's even better. But I think that women with epilepsy, yeah, should still be able to be encouraged if they want to have children.
1: Yeah, I think any people who want this in family, it's, I just want to make sure that people hear like other sides than just, yeah, you know, the Lifetime TV movie. <laughs> right. So speaking of media and chronic illness, and you are a media creator, you're a writer, do you find yeah. that, do you write characters with chronic issues? Or is that I'm writing my first character after like 40 years of writing of someone who has a chronic illness, and it is messing with my head. I was just wondering if you've tried
0: to write that before and how that works for you. Yeah. So the book that has just come out in May, Uncontrollable, is about a woman who has epilepsy and her journey and then her husband's journey as well. So the point of view is one chapter is her, one chapter is her husband, her and her husband, and it goes back and forth. So you get both sides of the relationship. And um, I think that that's important, too, is to talk about the caregiver. if That's a description. I don't really consider my husband a caregiver. I just consider it as a team. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who yeah. do say, OK, well, I'm the caregiver. So this gives that perspective as well as the perspective of the person who has the chronic illness. So How did you find that? It's switching back and forth between both roles. How did that feel for you? I felt that the most difficult part was making the voices distinct mm. so that, like, if you just read a sentence, you knew who was talking, if it was Jonah, the husband, or if it was Casey, the wife. So that was probably the most difficult part is actually learning the, like, craft of writing. How did you go about that to create those distinct voices? I mean, I'm a writer, I'm a fiction writer, so I just tried different things and, you know, tried to just imagine they completely different voice for each person and, you know, worked at it and worked at it. And, and finally it worked out. I read them out loud. I also did that. I think that that's important, you know, because then you can really find where things are, are kind of messy or if it's not flowing right. Yeah, reading it out loud is really important.
1: That's been weirdly helpful. It's almost like my friends who are coders that keep a little rubber duck on their desk and they read their code out to their duck. And that's where they find me a little <laughs> like, I am not I mean, stealing that. Thank you. <laughs> that's
0: a good idea. Yeah. right. Read...
1: And And rubber ducks are cute. I mean, yes. yes. You get some aesthetics in there. Sure. So how do you feel about how have you seen any representation of, I, I'm only I can only think of one character off the top of my head who I've seen and media have epilepsy. And now I'm not even sure if that was what that character had. Babysitter's Club, the new one on Netflix. I feel like Stacey, one of the main characters, had epilepsy. And um the thing that really hit me about it was it was a young teenager. And she was dealing with someone had videoed her seizure. And put it up on social media, and I was like, "Oh, social media is such a tool that can be used as a weapon." And they handled that through the whole show. I, I by the way, I just recommend *The Sitters Club*, adult or no. I had the nostalgia, but that was a really interesting thing because it's something I, I didn't have to deal with anyone like videotaping me when I was at my scariest, most vulnerable moments, and I thought that was a really interesting way to show teenagers the problems with doing something like that. Like videos for likes have actual repercussions.
0: I know. I can only imagine, you know, how horrifying that would be to have. I mean, I remember in college, I had one in the middle of my constitutional law class and imagine that people had had phones then and been able to video it and then post it. I would just be devastated. I would be, so anyone listening, don't do that. Please stop. That is bullying and that is extremely damaging to the mental health of the person with epilepsy who may already be struggling with mental health. So don't do it. Just throw a little PSA out there. The world is chaos behind. Like, yeah. Um,
1: so I don't know if you know of any other characters in media or how you just feel in general about how chronic illness and disability is viewed in our little, it's such a big part of what shapes us. It shapes our laws. It shapes how people who don't experience something or don't have a
0: touchstone with something, how they
1: view and how they act towards. Right.
0: I read one book when I was researching disabilities in literature. I read one book that was published in the in about 2000 and. Five, where a secondary character had epilepsy but you didn't know it until the middle of the book because he he had a, a dog that would like nudge him and then he would leave the room and I was led to think that it was a, a, a diabetes alert dog mm-hmm. but you would never say what it was for. And then he had a, a seizure in one of the scenes and they tried to put something in his mouth and, you know, the dog was alerting and alerting and, and he was ignoring the dog. And so it, it painted a really negative picture of someone with epilepsy because in the following scene, they asked, why haven't you told? And he said, well, I was ashamed of it and I didn't want to burden you. And so it was not only inaccurate who's your first aid, but it really kind of set back the epilepsy community a few years. So I, it was cringe Is real with that sentence. I know. <laughs> I know. So that was actually the only book that I could find that had a character with epilepsy, however incorrectly written.
1: So tell us a little bit of PSA. What should someone do if you see someone having a seizure? Because I remember being told in first aid class, you put a leather wallet
0: in someone's mouth.
1: I was like, that seems for us. Let's do what we can to correct some stuff here.
0: Sure. So seizure first aid, you just need to remember the three S's, which is stay, safe, and side. So the first S is stay. So stay with the person throughout the seizure and until the seizure has stopped and they've recovered. Safe, make sure they're in a safe place. And if you can, put something soft under their head. And then side, if you can, turn them on their side so they don't asphyxiate. And then there are things not to do. So the first thing not to do is do not put anything in the person's mouth. They cannot choke on their tongue. All you will do is potentially injure them or yourself. And so that is the first do not. Do not put anything in their mouth. The second thing is do not try and hold them down or restrain them or shake them. You can't shake someone out of a seizure or make it stop or anything. You just need to let the brain run its course. And instead of holding the person down, which could result in an injury to them, just Make sure they're safe. And then the third thing is you don't need to call 911 unless the person is pregnant. They've hurt themselves in some way where you would call 911 anyway. They have a seizure, seizure stops, and then another one starts. That could be a medical emergency or for the seizure is lasting over five minutes. So ideally, the actual first step of first aid would be to start timing your seizure. Sometimes people forget that. So take a deep breath, start to time the seizure.
1: Um, That's a very good thing. I I did not know about the timing. That's
0: very helpful. Yeah, yeah.
1: Is there anything you want people to know about life with Epilepsy, it is one of the longest known disorders since, I mean, it goes back to Caesar and there's so many mythologies around it and, you know, like all the bad humors and brainstorms and all these other things. We have so much mythology around it. What do you want people to know about life with it?
0: I think that it can be very limiting and I think that it's important for everyone to know seizure first aid. However, having epilepsy doesn't mean that the person isn't as smart as, you know, someone without epilepsy. It doesn't mean that they can't hold a job. They may need accommodations. So for example, they may need, you know, to work certain hours or not work certain hours or what have you, but they can hold a job. They can have children. I don't think that there's any conclusive scientific evidence that epilepsy is hereditary. It may be genetic. I know that there are a lot of hospitals working on studies to find like if there's a gene for epilepsy, but it's not hereditary. One of my favorite questions is always
1: just, is there anything under $100 that you bought that just made your life so much easier? Like for me, it's not even a cost. It was just the notes app on my iPad is my survival because it does speech to text. My reminders app means that reminders, by the way, if you have not gotten iOS 17 and you're an Apple person, you're in for such a treat for chronic illness because it's me with like a grocery list i can add photos i can have it remind my poor husband when he's driving around and he's near trader joe's It will like ding his phone and he's like oh yeah monica needs something all right i'll head over so those are just like some random little weird things that make my life a lot simpler oh and then with the apple watch you get medication reminders those are just some like little like cheap things that enough that the apple watch is cheap that's not cheap and just That's a free thing that comes with the Apple Watch. And the fall detection, that's been amazing on those. Oh, that's good. I didn't know they had that. Because like, it'll just message you, tell you where
0: I'm at, that I'm down. Yeah. No, that makes things a lot easier and safer. Yeah. Let's see. Why don't I buy under $100? Okay. So two things that come to mind. One... My pill box. I can now, you know, lay out my pills for the week. See what I'm not going to have. If I have to go to the pharmacy, I don't. And so that has been very helpful. They have cute ones now. Like they actually have cute ones. Yeah, and the one I have, the little the days pop out, so you can just put it in your curse or your fanny pack, have it with you. Yeah. And then you know if you took it or not, because it will either be in that day or not be in that day. Exactly. So that was also a key because then, you know, sometimes I would wake up and be like, did, did I take it? I don't know. Should I wait to find out? I don't know. So this has really helped with that. And then the second thing, actually, a wall calendar. I <laughs> have a calendar on the wall where I just write all things, you know, that are happening, appointments, what have you. And so it's something that I can, you know, look at and then say, okay, now on this day I have this and the kids have this or another actually can really help. I
1: know it's old school, but that's wonderful. I've been trying to do that, but everyone ignores when I put the calendar up. Like I'd have it up right by the refrigerator just so that people could like see it and it's still, it's not they don't. They don't take it. Yeah. I love all of them. But my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because I put the chore list next to it. So it's become this like Uh, focused blindness.
0: If I don't see it. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so those are the two things. My (laughs) pillbox and the (laughs) calendar on the wall. Those are some good ones. Where can everyone get your book? They can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. Let's see. Target. If you go to your bookstore, you can order it from whatever your favorite bookstore is and they'll have it in for you. I think that there are a couple bookstores in Portland that have it. If you go on my website, it'll probably be in the a- notes the website, but it's sarastagsrights.com. There's a drop down and you can just order it from there and so yeah, that's where you can get it. I have stolen your time long enough, but I cannot thank you for coming on, Sarah. This has
1: been absolutely lovely. And I cannot wait to read your book. This sounds amazing. I love the idea of the the caretaker viewpoint and the persons view. not that the caretakers aren't people please forgive me, I have not had my medication yet, I am just realizing now that I didn't actually mark down my medication on my watch oh no, it's that fun, oh that's why I have goosebumps and I'm very very cold right now, but I really love that device and I can't wait to read that so thank you so much for coming on, we will have your book in our show notes, so if you head over to our show notes at invisiblenotbroken.com, you can just click right on the button, I'll send you right over to Amazon or if you want, we will also have a button to click to Sarah's website. Thank you so much for coming on. And everyone, be kind, be gentle, be a badass. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support this show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising, and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our hosts, Monica and Sarah, for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by me, Luke Spine.
0: Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.